Hello everyone, this is Supreet Balaji, your host for the podcast show, A Day in the Life Of. And today we are talking to a person who has been broken boundaries and each step of her life was a game changer. Today I have with me Miss Karina Weinstein and Karina's journey is truly an inspiring one to all. She went to the United States as a refugee from the former Soviet Union and went on to do something remarkable by forging a path in public service and igniting systemic change that paves the path for global opportunities. And as the Program Strategy and Innovation Director at FXB, Karina leads the charge against climate change. And one of the coolest things she's done is coming up with a smart plan to help fight climate change. It's called the FXB Village for Climate Resilience. And it's all about making communities stronger in the face of climate challenges. She's also made a special group called the FXB Climate Advocates. That is where I come in. And these are the young people from 13 plus different countries who wants to help our planet. And her academic accomplishments includes a master's degree in public policy from the Harvard Kennedy School. And this really underscores her commitment to change. Hello, Karina, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Supreet, for having me. I really appreciate it. It's such an honor to speak with you today. So, Karina, I would like to start this podcast with the most authentic podcast question for the show. That is, can you walk us through a typical day in your life? Sure. Um. So, I have... um worked in the nonprofit sector in the US and globally um, for almost two decades. And one of the best maybe uh, aspects of working in the nonprofit sector is that there's no typical day, you know, where I think in the nonprofit sector, we wear many hats. So on any given day, you know, I could be uh, having a strategy session to think about how to empower young people with the tools they need to take climate action. I could be uh, brainstorming partnerships with different organizations, or I could be doing, you know, administrative or human resource tasks and, you know, everything in between. It's There's a joke that we're kind of janitors and CEOs and everything in between. Um, but that that's, that's what makes it really exciting. And I think I can, you know, I have the privilege to have meaning and purpose in my work. And I think that's, um, and I think one of the reasons that I have meaning and purpose is that there is no kind of uh, typical day, um, especially like in my role where at FXP USA, I'm the only staff member in the US and I've been really the only staff member for the last uh, seven years, eight years that I've worked here. And we're an organization of 350 people in you know 12 countries all over the world. But on a day-to-day level, um, I am really, I have a lot of flexibility and autonomy and no one like tells me what to do per se in the way that we think of traditional work where there's a boss who gives you a set of tasks. So that has, you know, uh, challenges and of course, um, you know, perks and opportunities. Uh, but that's, I think that's, what's really amazing about my job is that, you know, I can get on a zoom with our team in Rwanda then I could speak to our board chair um, about FXB USA's board meeting and the strategic plan. Then I can uh, meet with incredible and inspiring young people, our advocates to learn about their climate action projects. And then I'll meet with our bookkeeper to go over our financials. So that's what keeps it exciting. And um, I, I really enjoy that part. And I can't really imagine the old way of work where there were kind of really, um, diff- my, my, I'm very blessed that my work is very strategic and and that a little bit and some uh, tactical or operational as well, but that mix of both makes it really exciting. And I can't really imagine the old way of working where you kind of just had a boss there who tells you exactly what to do and you do the same thing. I think, you know, I, I am one of the, I just feel really privileged that I get to use my brain and creativity every day. And there's like no same day in my job. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. <laughs> wow, that's really wonderful to hear, Karina. And I 
know you're talking about FXB because I was a part of the cohort of fall 2022. But I think many of them will be wondering what FXB is. Could you just give a small introduction about what FXB is and what's its roles and what are the goals of FXB and what role do you play? Sure, thank you. So FXB is an international development organization that works on poverty alleviation. FXB's story started in 1986 when uh, Albina Dubrara lost her only son, Francois Xavier Banud, and that's who the organization is named after. And Albina Dubrara founded FXB International in 1989 to perpetuate the values of generosity that guided her son's life. So she founded FXB International, the nonprofit organization, as well as three university centers that bear her son's name, FXB Flight Vehicle Institute at the University of Michigan, FXB Center at Rutgers University, focused on pediatric AIDS, and um, FXB Center for Health and Human Rights at Harvard, who we work with very closely to um, uh, inform our uh, development work. So FXB International, the NGO, is um, works in 11 countries, uh, in Africa and Asia, and we have an office in Switzerland, France, and I'm in the U.S. And we're just a, we're a global staff, really committed to eradicating uh, poverty, promoting social justice, and enhancing climate resilience. So I um, have been at FXB USA for eight years, and my role is um, everything from uh, really thinking through um, how to connect FXB to additional partners and networks of international organizations to really leading the climate change portfolio and seeing how can climate resilience be integrated into our poverty alleviation work. And then very specifically, I lead the FXB Climate Advocates Program and thinking through how to best support young people like Supreet in the incredible work that they're doing to, to really meet the most pressing challenge of our time. There's probably not um, an issue that's more um, urgent to address than climate change and young people are really poised and well-equipped to do so with the support of resources, networks, and opportunities. Yeah. Wow, that's really wonderful to hear, Karina, because uh, being a part of FXB Climate Advocates Climate uh, uh, Journey, I've seen that you know the three months course that FXB provides is actually a master changer to many young people. It helps understand many different works of climate change. Maybe people want to be a part of climate change or be a part of climate action, but they really don't know which part to take, how to go ahead. And I think FXB, FXB creates like a platform, creates like a stage, uh, you know, it's like a stage for everyone to come in and learn and then go ahead and you know sparkle the change around the world to be the climate advocates or climate leaders of the world that's really wonderful to hear and talking about this particular path you actually came into the public policy sector and then you're into climate action now what inspired you to pursue this particular path and how did you get started into this Sure. Uh, thank you. So it's interesting. Um, I, I like to go back to kind of where I come from. So I come from the former Soviet Union, where, you know, people's kind of professions and careers were a little bit more dictated. It wasn't quite um, the way I find it in the U.S., where people have this freedom to define their professional path. So, you know, my parents chose jobs that you know, most women were teachers and my mom was a teacher and my dad was a metal press operator. So they just had jobs, you know, that's just what it was. And even they liked their jobs, but it wasn't that, um, you know, they thought about like meaning and purpose. It was just, you need jobs, right? So when we came to the United States, you know, of course, as all immigrants and refugees, you start from scratch, you know, my parents with advanced degrees, um, started doing you know more menial work just to support their family because they had no other choice and again um for many immigrants in the U.S. and this is probably true for immigrants anywhere is you know there's a lot of pressure for social mobility and economic success right so again you know the pressure was you need to find a well-paying job and you know doctor lawyer whatever all those jokes are about professions and you know it's interesting it was such a, a journey I've um I've always been really um like uh, passionate about social justice. A lot of it, I think, comes from growing up in a totalitarian regime that discriminated, um, you know, against 
people like me, I'm Jewish, you know, there was systemic discrimination against Jews and other uh, other injustices. So I'm pretty sure that's where I get my passion for social justice. And, you know, in the US over that, you know, growing up in the US since I was 11, you know, going to college, I just knew, I knew in my gut that I really wanted to make a world a better place. And that, um, you know, I cared about like, uh, community and I just I cared about kind of um, access to opportunity. That's really what drives me because that's why we moved to the U.S. And so even though there was a lot of pressure for my family, you know, to pursue like a, a like a well-paying career, you know, whatever it may be, um, I just I knew in my gut that I had my own like path and that you know I wanted to help people, I wanted to pursue public service, and I and so it was you know, it was difficult. So I majored in international relations in college, which, you know, is a great major. And I know that's what you want to pursue for your master's. But, you know, for an immigrant parent, it was kind of like, what is that? What are you going to do with India? Are you going to become a lawyer, doctor? You know, what, what do you do with that kind of major, right? So, uh, and even public policy from Harvard, again, like, what do you do with public policy? It's a very general degree. But I, I persevered. So, you know, there was a lot of pressure to kind of pursue some kind of practical profession. Um, but I persevered and I said, I'm going to define my own path. I don't know what it looks like. And, you know, my parents didn't really believe in maybe like searching for meaning or purpose in your work. They said, you need to make money so you don't have to suffer the way we did. But I persevered and, you know, I, I went abroad uh, when I was in college. I studied abroad in Chile that exposed me to Latin America and the historical kind of context there and the community development issues. Then when I was um, between college and graduate school, I worked for a nonprofit organization that focused on labor rights and social justice. So I, I, I actively sought out opportunities to work in the nonprofit sector to gain different perspectives. When I graduated from Harvard, I moved to Mexico for four years and worked in public service in nonprofit and uh, government as well. So I really just wanted to expose myself to what's out there, try different organizations and different experiences. And um, and I guess I'm very, I'm very happy that, you know, with my work at FXB, you know, I, I feel like I'm I'm really able to leverage all the skills that I have to be creative and to make a difference and to find meaning and purpose in my work. So I don't know, it's kind of um I guess I always say like I defy the expectations of my immigrant community and, and even when I get together with people who come from similar backgrounds as me, it's a little bit, you know, I always joke around to this day that I'm not sure my parents know if I get a salary because of the word nonprofit, it's a joke, but you know, it's very, um, you know, it's just not very typical or standard for immigrants to pursue these kind of paths. But I think, you know, I'm an example that if you kind of persevere and actively seek out opportunities and expose yourself, you know, kind of things will align. So for me, my work at FXB has just made me really fulfilled, really happy. And I know I'm making a difference. And there's so much more work to be done, you know, with climate change. So I, I was new to climate change um, four years ago when we started to shift a little bit to climate. And I always say I'm kind of like accidentally um, into kind of environmentalists. So growing up in New York, you know, I didn't, I grew up in an urban jungle, you know, if you're from any big city in India, you know, it's hard to think when you grow up in a big city, it's hard to think of yourself as an environmentalist because they're just buildings and concrete, right? And it just wasn't, you know, I thought climate change and environment was about forests and glaciers and polar bears, right? Which, you know, that's definitely a part of it. But um, really the way I became really passionate about climate change was through my children. I have two children who both have childhood asthma and allergies and all these other things. And, you know, I just, I, I've spent endless and endless amount of hours, you know, doctor's offices and emergency room visits and medications and everything. And then as I started developing the FXB Climate Advocates Program and diving deeper into climate change and climate and health, I realized wait a minute, you know, this is really a climate issue. 
um, our health, you know, air pollution, respiratory issues. And that's so for me, my entry into climate space in a way was through my children and their kind of um, respiratory issues that really results from the burning of fossil fuels and other pollutants into the air. And that really informs how we shape the FXB Climate Advocates Program. You know, some people might come into it with studying environmental science and, you know, geology, and they're looking at the data. But others may say, wait a minute, you know, my school is closed today because of extreme heat or, you know, um, I can't walk around in my city because of the urban heat island effect, right? So there, and that's what we try to do in the program is to provide many different entry points into the climate space for young people based on your lived experience, your interests, your passions, because we really need all hands on deck and it's not just an environmental science issue or like a technical issue. It really, climate change, you know, impacts the way we live, where we're gonna live, migration. I mean, it's such an intersectoral and interdisciplinary issue and we need um, all kinds of skills and passions and interests to address it. That's truly an impactful answer because uh, I agree on many fronts of what you just told because starting from um, how parents think because it's similar because uh, in India medical and engineering is considered to be one of the biggest things and if anybody goes there everybody thinks that you got to get big bucks and you got to get all the you know you're financially stable after becoming an engineer uh, but the truth is there's a lot of you know deflection and many people come to engineering only because they're foreign their parents force them to come in and they get to know that they have a lot more passion towards different aspects, maybe from design, maybe from, you know, singing, cultural, anything. Yeah. And that is one thing that I totally agree on you because parents are totally concerned about what their children are. And same here, because my parents even now, because I'm shifting towards an unorthodox master's because I'm going towards international relations, which is totally unorthodox from engineering to international relations. And all the time I get this, okay, have you thought, have you thought about it? Is it two times? Is it three times? Understand everything. Make sure you're, you know, you're going through everything. We want your life to be very secure. You don't want to, you know, have the struggles that we had. So I totally relate to you. And I hope <laughs> every parents in the world understand about that particular thing. And the second part is climate change, which is very, very, very important because I grew up in, Bangalore. Bangalore is the, you know, uh, it was called the green city of uh, India and green city of my state and garden city of my state. But now it's become the, you know, silicon hub of the country because most of the big tech industries are from Bangalore. And you see from the smallest company startup to the biggest Amazon manufacturing companies or maybe even you know, iPhone manufacturing is happening even in India. So it's happening in this particular state and this particular city. And there's a lot of problems that come into it as a, you know, a person from the metropolitan city. And I totally relate to you. And I hope your kids are doing fine now and they're uh, taken well care of. And uh, uh, these are a few of the perspectives that I would like to share. But when you talked about... Uh, when you talked about Harvard Kennedy School, you talked about you learning about public service and the perspective. So studying at Harvard Kennedy School is a significant achievement overall. And your time over there shaped you on the perspective of policy, decision-making, connections, networking, and your experiences or insights from that period have stayed with you throughout the career. So what are these some of these experiences and what are these some of the you know, ideologies that you carry forward that help you learn from Howard Kennedy School. Yeah, thank you. I'll just share another anecdote. When I got into the Harvard Kennedy School and I called my parents to say I got into Harvard, my mom said, well, you should apply to the law school. <laughs> So there was still, it's just really funny. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I was really excited. It's, you know, it seemed, it's such a big deal. You know, certainly Harvard Kennedy School is, um, it was very different from the stereotypes that I had of Harvard, um, you know, of like wealth and privilege and all of that. The Harvard Kennedy School is really filled um, 
as I was very happy to find out, with really passionate, committed people, really diverse. It was really um, an incredible two years of just like intellectual, there was no competition, whatever, maybe, maybe whatever the stereotype, stereotypes are of Harvard undergraduate or maybe business or law, but at the Kennedy School, also physically the building at the time was very modest and we were always called like the stepchild of Harvard just because you could say you could clearly see a difference between the alumni donations to the Harvard Kennedy School versus business school or law school where that had just nicer facilities but that it, it fit well with the people so in my you know the biggest thing I got from Harvard was my network of but like network of people my friends who now how many years 15 years later I graduated um it's 15 years ago we still stay in touch and not only stay in touch we like really help each other and what's really amazing about the people I met is that people are really passionate about issues like when we had our reunion just not too long ago in May uh people would talk about like they wouldn't say their job title like what they do they would talk about I'm working on you know the workforce of the 21st century and I'm creating access to resources for small businesses like people really work on issues and are really passionate about issues so that makes it stand apart during the two years it was just a really um great time you know I think to access practitioners and to like What's nice about it is not so academic, meaning that all of our professors have worked in different administrations and nonprofits, so they could really bring on that hands-on experience. I'll never forget my economics professor, um, uh, Borjas, <laughs> who was teaching us macroeconomics, talked about the time he was advising uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was the governor of California. He's like, and we're by the poolside, and you know, we're looking at, you know economic policy for California and you know there was some questionable policy about potentially um immigrant workers depressing wages and so they uh, whatever the result was but having that kind of hands on um you know I think it, I left the Kennedy School really aware that um that like between theory and what we want happen and practice there's always like it's going to be messy and I think that was a really important lesson and so I was prepared for the real world because we knew that you know we always had to put our ideas into practice it wasn't about 20 page research papers it was about these 300 word most concise memos you know where you have to say what you need to say in the shortest amount possible you know and, and that's really served me in the real world to know that you know, the, just the practice, that the nuances and the dimensions of putting any policy or program into practice. The other thing that I have to say, you know, one of, that I walked away with at the Kennedy School is really the focus on the soft skills and really the soft skills, they're really critical. And the two classes that I use the most in my work over the last 15 years are uh, a leadership class called Adaptive Leadership. It's a model created by Ronald Heifetz and other teachers have taught it. And another class by Marshall Gans that I think, Supreeth, I would recommend. They have online resources as well called um, Mobilizing Communities. And it's actually a framework to mobilize change. It's called the story of uh, self, the story of us, and the story of now. And those two classes, because what the Kennedy School told us is that, like, technical things like whatever, like drug policy, whatever it is, you know, you can learn. Anyone can learn. You know, that's, like, technical. But what to get things done you need to mobilize people, you need to understand their interests, you need to understand factions, you need to understand how to position yourself. So that was really, I would say that was really valuable. Um, and I use those models and adaptive leadership, which is like mobilizing groups and understanding their interests. I use those things way more than I use any technical, you know, macroeconomic theory that I could have learned or statistics. Statistics was important too. Um, but yeah, so that's really important because Ultimately, it's people, right? And to create change, you need to know how to work with people, how to mobilize change. And I'm just really inspired. Um, I have such uh, amazing classmates who do oh, a wide range from, we have a classmate, Kevin, who is a social media influencer um, on healthy cooking, Fit Man Cook. He's been on the Today Show and in, um, in, yeah, in Chipotle, he had a recipe uh, like from the Kennedy School to, you know, um, Cody Keenan, who was a Barack Obama speechwriter, to actually the, this was the most, this isn't surprising, a lot of the international students are very connected, but the lead uh, winner in Thailand in the Reform Party, 
Pita, and I'm going to butcher his name. He was my classmate. He's not going to get to win because of the way the Thailand uh, royal family wrote the constitution, but he, you know, he, his party did win and he would be the prime minister were it not for all these other things. So that's pretty cool to just have this really network of really amazing, committed, and really people who really care and who are committed. And, you know, it's just a really wonderful network. And so that's been really, you know, that's been really cool. Um, just like a different than what I imagine Harvard of like elite or I don't know, competitive people know is really Kennedy School specifically, just really incredible people who really care. And I draw on my network all the time for help. Like we're gonna go meet up at the conference of parties or the climate week in New York. I mean, people are just involved in this kind of work and we're always sharing resources and helping each other. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's really wonderful to know. Networking, connections are the biggest assets for anyone and your experience tells it all for sure. And I'm so honored that I'm able to interact with you. So talking about policies, the first thing that comes to my mind is big words, big books, big recommendations, long talks, sleepless nights, drafting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think I'm partly right here. And I think it also takes a lot of grinding work by many people and organizations for passing one policy or some policies or moving it ahead itself. So with all the challenges in this profession, how do you stay motivated and what are your rituals for motivation? Yeah, um, I guess I use um, like a similar strategy regardless of the challenge. I try to step back and see the bigger picture. So if I'm stuck on something, you know, for the FXB Climate Advocates Program, you know, about how to best structure it, I just say, okay, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to read the news like about, you know, young people suing government just to take a step back and just to see what's going on. And that always helps me um, kind of solve the immediate challenge at hand. And I do this in my personal life too, but of course, more importantly, in professional life, just to take a step back and see the bigger picture, see the trends. And then on the other hand, you know, just like connect with people. So whether it's, you know, my personal life or, you know, um, meet with youth advocates and learn about what's going on in Cameroon and, you know, the climate uh, summit that they're organizing and just that kind of getting out of my kind of bubble and, and surrounding and really connecting with someone else is really, uh, that helps me overcome challenges. And then I come back refreshed. And I think there's a lot of science behind like human connection, you know, in general and what it does to our brain. But I think especially in this kind of work where, you know, there's no there's no manual or set, you know, set of tasks. There's just there's like a big problem to solve poverty, climate change, migration. And we need to think creatively about it. Yeah. And, you know, with climate policy or just policy in general, it could seem like an overwhelming term. But, um, you know, I think it's um, just maybe breaking things down also into smaller so, you know, climate policy is huge, but what's going on in my town? Like what are plastic bag bans or, you know, carbon dividend, or I don't know, just look, taking it, making it very tangible local to things you can have control over or influence, not control, but things you can influence also helps empower and then, you know, helps you kind of overcome challenges. Yeah. And if any, nothing else works, I'll just go and like sit on the floor and build Legos with my five-year-old. And that, you know, you know, it's amazing. Like, you know, because we're, we're like confined as adults, right? And as a young adults by boxes. I mean, that's just what society raises us. And when you spend time with little kids just playing on the floor, you just see kind of things from a different perspective and they're just not confined to those boundaries and they can think, you know, so much more creatively than one can. So that if nothing else works, I'll just sit on the floor and play Jenga or build Legos. And that helps me overcome challenges. <laughs> Wow, Karina, that's really a wonderful idea to sit back, you know, stay back and, you know, look at things from a different perspective and then come back. Even sometimes you talk, you talked about sitting with your kids and, you know, playing Legos or Jenka. Wow, that's truly a takeaway that I should take. Maybe I should start playing with my younger cousins or younger siblings so that I can get a more different perspective. And it's really a wonderful idea.
with all the amazing opportunities and experiences you have had could you share some memorable experiences that perfectly captures the essence of your profession sure um i think when you see kind of the impact that your work makes that's that's really meaningful and really memorable i mean i think um anytime i see kind of the fxp climate advocates um, you know, succeed. Uh, for example, one of our advocates was selected to be an international delegate to COP28 as a result of his participation um, in the FXB Climate Advocates Program, Simeon from Malawi. That, that you know, really is memorable because then you say, oh, you really make change. You know, so the nonprofit sector has a lot of challenges. So one of them is that you're always begging for money. Is <laughs> that so there's never enough resources to do what you need to do. Your work is really, you know, your work is really important. We know it makes a difference, but now you have to convince other people to put their money in, you know, and there are a lot of many good initiatives and things out there, but you have to convince them to put your, their money into your work, you know, so that's that's the challenge. And it can be really draining, honestly, to just always, you know, ask for money and to always have to package the work you're doing and say, yes, I'm making a difference when you know you are. <laughs> So it's draining. But the other side of that, when you actually see, and it, you know, the other challenge is that for this nonprofit work, development work, it really changes long term, right? We don't solve like we don't build a building that you could see in a year or two. You know, the kinds of work that FXB does, which is really building capacities of communities and people, young people. We know that's long term work. It's not always so visible or concrete. So that could be a challenge too. You could say, oh. You know, we just graduated this cohort of 150 young people. What does that really mean? What are they doing? Do they even care? You know, I don't know. You know, you get it's it's easy to get like demotivated, but when you take the time and actually connect and um to see the impact that your work makes, that's really memorable. You know, when the the work um for example, one of our advocates uh in uh, Colorado, a high school student, she recently shared that she received a prize for her climate work from the Environmental Protection Agency, and she got to meet the vice president, Kamala Harris, as part of that. And you're like, okay, then I know I made a difference because the little bit that we helped this young woman shape her journey is making, you know, a real impact because she's training thousands of students to create sustainability policies across the US. So that's um that's really memorable. And of course, to the extent possible, usually before COVID, being out like in the community. So I got to visit um, New Mexico and work, uh, do a little bit of potential partnership with a school that serves Native American students in New Mexico and Santa Fe. So that's really meaningful when you actually can go out into the communities and see and feel, you know, kind of beyond the virtual world. And hopefully now that things are obviously coming back to normal, you know, we'll be able to do that more. I mean, technology is amazing in what it enables us to do for sure, but there's probably nothing like the in-person kind of um, human connection that can develop and the community can develop from in-person meetings. But yeah, so it's, it's meaningful. And then Sometimes uh, participants, like uh, some of our advocates will reach out and share what they're doing. And I'm like, okay, this is amazing. Um, or you see someone's growth over time. Um, yeah, so it's meaningful, but you do need to be like very strong in this kind of profession. It's just not, the change is not short term. And we know that we're tackling big systemic problems. You know, even climate change, uh, you know, it, it requires systems change to really get off fossil fuels. We need major, you know, change in our economy and the way we do things, right? So can, you could say, okay, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm depressed. Or you could say, wait a minute, I can be inspired by Supreet and Ewi and Simeon who are doing these really tangible, meaningful things right now. And yes, over time, we still need that systems change. So it's it's important to stay motivated because it's easy to kind of maybe lose hope. But if you focus on the small, tangible changes and of course the, the young I mean I'm very blessed I always say that you know I work with young people who are so inspiring and that's how I stay positive otherwise I would just get depressed by the news and what's going on but people like you Supreet inspire me to say okay we're going to keep going because there's something here worth fighting for so the key is being positive and I guess it's one of the biggest keys that everybody has to take away because there is a lot of negativity around the world and even seeing the news, seeing our social media, 
with our friend groups there's everywhere you get to see a lot of positives and negatives and i think taking only the motivation part and you know the driving force of positivity and moving forward is a very good example and thank you so much for sharing that you told that inspirational work by young people inspires you and keep you motivated and keep you moving and i guess there's a sport that i can think of that every small droplet can fill an ocean and can make an ocean so hopefully we the young people can work for the future with all these amazing small steps and moving ahead uh, as a person in the non-profit sector what do you think are the necessary skills or qualities that a person should possess in the line of work yeah i think one and this probably goes for many fields but especially i think in the nonprofit sector is uh like empathy and really um i don't multi, i don't know what the skill is like being very cognizant of people's different cultures idiosyncrasies that's really important. So the core of our work is working with people to create change. And you have to, to the extent possible, understand and be mindful of different perspectives from simple things like language. So, you know, I work very closely with my colleagues in Europe whose French is their first language and English is their second language. So, you know, when they write something, I don't, you know, my gut feeling would be to interpret it in a certain way. And I have to take a step back and say, wait a minute, first of all, they're translating. Second of all, there's just, Europe has a very different culture of communication than the US. So just being, and that's just a simple example, but of course, you know, working with our colleagues around Africa and Asia. So just really, um, and yeah, being really mindful of people's perspectives, idiosyncrasies and really different cultures. I mean, I'm lucky that through my personal journey, you know, I have so many kind of different culture and experiences and I've lived abroad. So I kind of know that, but honestly, it's easy, you know, when you stay in one place for a long time, it's easy to kind of just get very, you know, I don't know, centered or siloed right into where you are. And so that's, I think that's a really important skill for success because if I, you know, I don't know, I think a lot of things wouldn't happen if I were not like kind of empathetic and mindful of just people's different styles of communication, of, um, you know, sharing, etc. Um, I think another skill is like, for a lot of my work is really around creating new ideas and creating new things and thinking outside the box. And so um, having like, um, what's the word, meeting um, with like my colleagues to brainstorm, like not define, like not defining everything in black and white and leaving that sp- being very comfortable with having um, kind of work that's generative, that's um, you know, that can change and bringing in people's different ideas, I think is really important. Because if I just said, well, here's what this program will look like, it wouldn't succeed, but I have to incorporate, listen, get input, incorporate everyone's feedback to make sure that there's ownership and that the program is honestly much better because I only have one perspective. Um, another one is, you know, nonprofits, we can't really do anything alone, you know, because no one has enough resources ever, you know, no nonprofit has sufficient resources to do everything they want to do, except maybe, you know, the Gates Foundation or something. So we have to partner, right? And to partner with organizations is also partnership is an important skill, because you really have to create these um, win-win scenarios, right? Really understand what that organization wants, what they care about, what those people care about, and find opportunities that, you know, gets them what they want. And of course, you know, you benefit. So these win-win scenarios are really important. And, you know, in a very positive uh, way, everyone is uh, scarce for resources. So when I meet with organizations, none of us have funds to pay each other for the things we want one another to do, but we find, um, you know, opportunities for synergies that don't require funds and that benefit everyone. And honestly, the FXB Climate Advocates Program was kind of built that way because we don't pay our speakers. Everyone donates their time. Um, you know, we've just made things happen really without sort of paying any, you know, without like uh, concrete funds. But, you know, we find um, synergies we find where there's like shared interests, values, and create scenarios that are beneficial to those organizations and really helpful to us. And then things happen, and it's been really great. 
Um, what's another skill? Um, I mean, the other one's just like organizational planning and things like that. Always, I think what makes like good nonprofits or work stand apart is when there's a really clear theory of change strategy and then, you know, implementation. And so now like all of that, you need like the very big picture, the middle big picture of like, what are the big strategies? And then of course you need to be um, mindful of what you're actually doing on the ground, being nimble and agile. So like with FXP Climate Advocates Program, we know we want to invest in youth and, you know, in the way that aligns with their interests and we need all hands on deck. For strategies, we know we want young people to walk away with knowledge. We want them to walk away more um, empowered with a sense of agency. And we want young people to actually take action. So those are the three things that, you know, really guide everything we do. And then how we do it, do we do the three month cohort? So another way or, you know, that has, uh, you know, we play around and we try different things. When we started the FXP Climate Advocates Program, we didn't have cohorts. It was just like students joined and we had sessions. But what we found is that young people and probably most people don't, they engage at first and then they disengage. And so we found that a time bound thing it was better. We were able to teach what we think young people should know about climate change. We, we were able to get the engagement we want through a finite thing where it was very clear what the expectations were, you know, and then there's the alumni network. So, and now we're still, as we we're now working on a three-year strategic plan for the program. And we're again, looking back at the structure and saying, how can we, you know, mold the structure to meet our core strategic objectives. So there, that's another skill is just to have that kind of strategic planning, um, you know, skill. Yeah. Wow. That's like, you know, you got to multitask with everything, having creativity, having multitasking and, you know, being uh, empathetic and connecting with different people and understanding what different people understand and how to cater the needs with respect to different people so that uh, even your goals are reached and even the goals of the people who are learning is reached. So that's really wonderful to hear. And in your previous answer, you talk, you talked about, you know, uh, you take motivation from different people. You talk, you talked about motivation from uh, your cohorts, your friends, your family members. So I would like to know if you have any one particular role model that you look up to and what are the key aspects that you look up to that particular person? Yeah. I'm, um, I guess I'm blessed that I've had multiple colleagues or, you know, supervisors or mentors that I've worked with that have um, different skill sets that, you know, I'm learning from. So my uh, previous board chair of FXB USA, Bilge Basani, is someone um, I admire. And she really mentored me to think strategically, to build those partnerships. Um, she had worked for the United Nations for a long time. And, you know, she really uh, took the time to kind of uh, guide me in this process at FXP, you know, both sort of on the technical things of running the program, but also, um, you know, the, the kind of the political things and, you know, managing stakeholders, you know, within this large organization that, you know, has so much history and so many different, you know, people and interests. And, you know, so that's been really helpful. And now I'm really blessed. Um, our current board chair, Diana Phillips, uh, she used to be the former um, uh, corporate like press communications senior person at Sotheby's in their auction. So she has been really guiding me on how to communicate to different stakeholders and how to kind of package things and how to how to communicate how to convey um, to different people in a way that's meaningful to them that does justice to the program and really helps to build up our vision. So I'm learning a lot from her. Because one thing in the nonprofit sector is that we're very, and this is my personality too, but especially in the sector, you know, we like to under communicate and, oh, this is a small thing. And, you know, everything is like minimized. It's just the way the sector is in a way, right? Because we don't want to over-exaggerate or over-promise. But, um, you know, Diana is really teaching me to kind of give weight and to communicate in a way that's really meaningful and impactful. And it's a skill, you know, um, 
I could say like, oh, we just have this little cohort of just 150 people. It wasn't a big deal. Or I could say, actually, we trained 150 youth advocates to take really meaningful action in their communities. And this is going to impact, you know, thousands of more people. So learning how to communicate and communicate to different stakeholders, but also give credit to many different people who've been part of the process is really important. So this communication, you know, someone once said, this is about acting, but something like, there's a saying like, what's the difference between like a good actor and a bad actor? And it's like a good agent or something. And the idea is that you need to, like you could do amazing things, but if you're not communicating it, no one's gonna know about it, really value it. So just a, that's a really uh, important skill and where Diana has been really mentoring me a lot. Um, yeah, and overall in my like previous roles, I've had really amazing mentors, just uh, people who have taken the time to guide, to support, to like, um, to really teach you and then to really build on your strengths as well. So yeah, that's really important to just learn from many people that you come across. And honestly, everyone's really, people want to help each other people. So Supreet, when you encounter someone and you want to learn from them, just ask them and they'll say yes, because everyone, you know, wants to share their expertise and help you. So that's a nice part, especially in this sector. And I'm sure this applies to other areas of work as well. Wow, that's truly a you know, heart-touching part because everywhere we go, we find role models, we find people and people will not know until we ask that we need help. People will really not understand your feelings until you tell them that, okay, I feel like I would like to learn from you. Please help me out. And people are sure that they are very good people and they help you out and they make sure that you become the better version of yourself or you become the better version of whatever person you want to be so that is truly wonderful to hear and talking about your role in fxp to me it sounds like you got to do a lot of you know uh 24 hours work because uh you you talk with different people from different parts of the world and you coordinate and you network and you make sure everything goes around in the seamless and you know, uh, without anybody worrying, everybody learns, they share, they network, and they go back and create an impact. So how do you manage your work-life balance and you avoid the burnouts in life, you know, getting stressed out? How do you do that? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> it's something I've been struggling with my entire career. It's hard in this sector you know I'm always a little jealous of people who you know maybe like I live in a neighborhood where there are a lot of firemen sanitation workers police officers and at the end of the day they come home and they don't have work at home you know they just their work is done or just anyone who's like work is done I on the other hand you know can I mean there's always work to be done there's never a moment where there's nothing to be done because there are more young people to recruit and there's you know so I think just um I just I, I guess like self-awareness knowing when um I function best and when I can be creative and then knowing when I'm also like um when I need to take a step back um and just step away to be able to be creative um yeah I don't really have great advice because I haven't quite mastered it but um but just yeah just being self-aware like there's you know there are definitely moments like this this week, the past two weeks, I've been working on a document for the UNF, uh, United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, uh, a communications document about FXB, our three-year strategic plan. So these are all like big things that I need to be like sharp. You know, you want to communicate in the most effective manner. If I, I just stare at my computer and just not step back, they're not going to be good products. So I do have to um, just being ste stepping back and taking that time away, even not we're disconnecting sometimes um for example last no two weeks ago I took a vacation for a week I think it was the first week that I actually didn't look at my FXB email or computer in like eight years that I've been here and it was I have to say that I came back much more productive and much more rejuvenated because I actually disconnected because it seems like it's you know it's all virtual work so you know you there's always something to be done. You can always connect. It seems like I'll just do it for a little bit. It's not a big deal. But actually, you know, in my mind, like when I go to sleep, I'm thinking about, you know, the the things that I have to do in the meetings. And so be, sometimes just disconnecting when, you know, at a certain periods is really important. Um, 
yeah and then just yeah I don't know just being self-aware knowing when you work best when you're most like generative creative is important and when you you know I know when I need after you know maybe six seven hours in front of a computer one more hour is not gonna help me create a great you know initiative I really just need to step back and then come back to it for me meeting with people you know just sometimes just being around people helps so whether virtually or in person that that just helps me like get out of my um slump yeah wow that's really wonderful well luckily i have kids so they force me yeah my kids force me to have a balance at some point they just say okay stop working (laughs) (laughs) it's really wonderful because i see the same thing with my mother whenever i go back home i tend to pull my mother like okay it's fine stop working it's fine i know because every mother every parent is working so hard for their children or every other person is working so hard for the other person to be a better person or to have a good life so i think every person who's working hard needs to have that you know work life balance and children are and family members are the biggest supporters and i think you totally agree with that particular point uh moving on to the last bit of the podcast if you had to go back 15 years behind and you got to give yourself an advice or a suggestion or a quote what would that be that's a great question um i guess i would tell myself to be more bold and to take more risks and not to care so much about what people think and just to kind of maybe try more new things and new experiences i did do it but I do remember always feeling hesitation or analyzing or fear. And now that I look back, I wish I don't have major regrets, but I wish I, you know, had spent time in Africa living abroad or just I wish I had done some other things that, you know, um, I didn't because I don't know, I was scared. So I definitely I would. Yeah, that would be that would be advice that I would give myself is just to be more bold and to take more risks. Wow, that's really wonderful to hear, Karina, because uh, many people, you know, they tend to, they have a lot of opportunities, but they tend to, you know, move towards few aspects of goals. They forget that they have their goal, they have their passions, they have their ambitions. Sometimes you're too much into the grind of the 21st century where you keep on working towards what only you want, but you forget about what others want and what sometimes, you know, what really matters to yourself. Because as you told about, you wanted to go back to, you know, Africa, do some more work over there, or maybe something being more bold, taking more opportunities, taking more risks. And I think that is going to be a biggest take back for everyone here because being bold, taking risks is something that everybody should take and they should feel like they should never no, uh, miss any opportunities. <music> Lastly, I would like to thank you so much for being an amazing guest for this particular podcast. And as it's a new podcast and we have a very unique guest like you, it's truly an honor to host you here. And I hope you had an amazing time here. And I hope the guests loved your sessions and looking forward to more interactive sessions and looking forward to hearing more about all the FXB climate advocacy and FXB success stories. And thank you so much, Karina, for joining the session. Thank you so much for having me. It was so wonderful to speak with you, Supri. Thank you. Thank you so, so much, Karina. It was really wonderful to talk to you. And thank you all for your patience and listening to this amazing podcast session. And please do like, share, and follow this podcast. And don't forget to tune in next week for an amazing and inspiring day in the life of